Okay, this might sound silly, but what is the gospel? This is the Bible Reset Podcast brought to you by the Institute for Bible Reading. Welcome to the show. I'm Alex Goodwin here with Glenn Powell. Our friend Paul is speaking in the UK this week, so we're going to be handling this one ourselves. In our last episode, we briefly explored the gospel according to Rome, using some direct records and sources showing exactly what the ancient Roman Empire thought of itself. So their answer to the question, what's the best news in the world, was, well, we are. We have the world's savior, we have the son of God, we bring peace and order and security, and without us, the world is chaos and darkness. Rome is the light. So the two big takeaways from this are, first, I think the word gospel is clearly bigger than what we usually hear. It encompasses the answers to our biggest questions about the world, like what's gone gone wrong and what's the solution. And then secondly, the word gospel, I think, is contested. Like there are different gospels, competing gospels, competing versions of the good news for the world. So Christians claim that the Bible reveals this big world transforming gospel in the story about Jesus. But we still have to ask, is our gospel actually big enough to compete with all the other gospels in the world? Or have we shrunk our gospel into something smaller? And maybe even most critically, do we actually use the word gospel in the same way the Bible does? Yeah, okay, Alex, these are obviously huge questions. And it's potentially disturbing to think that we might have been talking about something as basic as the word gospel in a way that's different than what the Bible says. But the thing is, we always have to be willing to test our ongoing Christian tradition against the text of the Bible. I mean, against what it really says. Yeah. We get our story from the scriptures, right? So no matter how long we or our group has held our traditions, the Bible is the test of whether or not we're telling the story of Jesus accurately. So that's yep. what I think we want to do today. Yep. I would guess that if you ask most Christians today what the word gospel means, they would say something in the neighborhood of Jesus died for our sins so we could go to heaven when we die. In fancier language, we might call this the teaching about justification by faith or the substitutionary atonement. Jesus took our punishment and died in place of us so we could be rescued. And while the gospel is certainly not less than this, we also think it's so much more. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So our goal today is take, to take a closer look at this word gospel and how it's used both in the First Testament and in the New Testament to talk about Jesus and his work. And again, like you said, Glenn, uh, just to be perfectly clear, we're not questioning doctrines like justification or substitutionary atonement, that sort of thing. The question is whether these doctrines are really at the core of what the New Testament means by the word gospel. So we'll be focusing on the New, right. New Testament and how Jesus himself and his earliest followers started telling this story to the world. But I think before we even get there, it's worth going back to earlier in the story into the First Testament. Yes, you heard that right. They actually used this word gospel in the First <laughs> Testament and didn't just kind of get invented in the first century. Yeah, right. I mean, whoever thought of that? Like, we don't think of gospel as a First Testament thing at all. It's like it started right. with Jesus. But... We find the word gospel actually begins with passages about royalty, people mm. like King David and King Solomon. 
For example, when David's kingdom is threatened by his own son, Absalom, David is waiting to hear word of the battle. Those hmm. who run to announce the outcome are carrying the gospel. I mean, it's Hebrew, not Greek, but it's, that's the word that is behind it. It's the same word. Um, so they are carrying the gospel, the good announcement that David's troops have won against the rebellion. That's what the word gospel literally means, a good announcement. And not just any good announcement, but specifically good news about who is king and what this kingship will bring. Yeah. So then the idea comes to an even more full kind of picture, more full fruition in the prophets like Isaiah, Nahum, who start using this word gospel to talk about the time that the Lord, Yahweh, will return to Jerusalem as Israel's king. So Isaiah says, you who bring the gospel to Zion, go up on a high mountain. You who bring good news to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up. Do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. And then just a little later in Isaiah, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. Or as Nahum has it, look, there on the mountains, the feet of one who brings the gospel who proclaims peace. Celebrate your festivals, Judah, and fulfill your vows. No more will the wicked invade you. They will be completely destroyed. Hmm. So, wow. yeah, notice the specific details here in these First Testament passages. First of all, God shows up. Yeah. This is particularly important because in context, these passages are all about the end of Israel's exile. God's presence had left the temple in Jerusalem, and then that amazing building had been completely destroyed. So the first good news is that God is back. And then the next part is that he's back as king. Hmm. The final part draws the conclusion. Look, if God is back and he's back as king, then it means that Israel's enemies have been defeated. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. It, like you said, it's a it's a kingship announcement, a royal announcement, yep. and especially like a royal battle announcement. Kind of the, the two go hand in hand a little bit there. Right. Yeah. Because kingship is contested. So that's what the announcement's about. Yep. Yep. So all of this should remind us a little bit about what we learned in the previous episode uh, about Rome's gospel, which was also about who was the true and the rightful king. And in their case, it was Caesar, right? There was yep. that inscription from, from Asia Minor that says, The birthday of Augustus was the beginning for the world of the gospel that has come to all people through him. So with all this kind of background um, information and just uh, things from the First Testament and from the Roman Empire in mind, uh, I think that it's helpful to have that all kind of in the back of our mind for our expl exploration mm. of, of the word gospel in the New Testament. Um all these different questions are about who's king and and exactly what that kingship means for everybody else. So the word gospel in the New Testament definitely just doesn't come out of nowhere. There's already a history and kind of a, a series of expectations for the kind of thing a gospel announcement is actually about. So let's move ahead to the gospel books themselves. Uh, we can start with Mark's gospel, um, which 
really starts starts off in the first sentence, right? By kind of giving mm-hmm. giving an overview right. of what right it's all about. And, yeah, and just says it right off the bat, yep. right? Um, he he starts it with the beginning of the gospel about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. And then later in Mark, it says, after John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Yeah, it's those same words right now in Greek, but it's the exact same idea. Um, The good news here is an announcement about Jesus as, as Mark says explicitly, the Messiah, the Son of God. So both of these are royal titles. Messiah means anointed king and Son of God, although we tend to think of it as meaning Jesus is God himself, you know, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, part of the Godhead. In Israel, actually, Son of God, first of all, carried a more royal connotation for a human king. Hmm. So both of these phrases, Messiah and Son of God, carry echoes of the royal Psalms from the First Testament. As an example, Psalm 2 addresses the nations of the world and warns them that Yahweh has installed his chosen king on Zion, that is God's holy mountain in Jerusalem. So this human king is then named God's son, who will inherit the ends of the earth. Royalty, authority, worldwide kingship, that's what's behind this whole idea. So now Jesus comes and he says, the time for all of this has arrived. God's reign is returning. In his words, the kingdom has come near. Further, when we look at the gospel passages in Matthew and Luke, you know, they have their own telling of the story of Jesus. We see that explicitly the fruit of this newly arrived kingship is especially for those who need healing and for the poor. Yeah. We call the authors of the four gospels the evangelists. That's the word that is associated with them, meaning mm-hmm. those who tell good news. For them, the gospel is always the gospel of the kingdom. So it's important to remember, I think, that. It was the early church that named these books Gospels. And right. I don't know if we always think about that, but that's the name they put on them. That is, there are four books telling the one gospel about Jesus. But the thing is, they clearly believe that to share the gospel is to tell the story of Jesus, and specifically the story that Jesus is king. The content of the word is connected to Israel's promise about the end of the nation's exile and the return of Yahweh as king, the foretellings of the gospel, then they just go on and simply tell and show, I think, how the life of Jesus brought the reign of God back to Israel in powerful and redemptive ways. And that's what the early church said is the gospel, is this whole story of Jesus. Yeah, Glenn, I think it is telling, like you said, that uh, these people that compiled stories about Jesus decided to call them gospel books. And there's kind of this King Jesus gospel theme woven throughout all the gospels. But then I think it also continues into the book of Acts, which of course is the story of the earliest church and the earliest apostles um, after Jesus ascends to be with the father. So we can see these early gospel presentations in the book of Acts, where we see apostles, mostly Peter at the beginning telling these Jewish audiences miniature condensed versions of the story of Jesus. 
So the first one comes on Pentecost when Peter tells a crowd about Jesus of Nazareth and what happened to him. And Peter's gospel presentation, how he does it, sort of forms a model for other gospel presentations that follow. So he summarizes the life of Jesus as a teacher and a healer, accredited by God with his miraculous powers, but then crucified and raised from the dead and ascended. So the conclusion is always that Jesus is the anointed king of Israel and the Messiah, now in a position of complete authority at the right hand of the Father. So later in this speech in Acts on Pentecost, Peter quotes from Psalm 110, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. And then later he quotes from Psalm 2 about Jesus being Yahweh's anointed king on Mount Zion. So like these are royal exaltation psalms. And I think Peter's, of course, choosing these uh, because they support his message that, that Jesus is the king. And of course, his, his message comes to a head uh, with his summary statement. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. So there you go, right? Right. There he has is. made him Lord <laughs> and Messiah. Yep. Yeah. So the point of Jesus' story is that he is Israel's king and now Lord of all the world, kind of on the model of Psalm 2, especially. Um, he is triumphed over, the text says, your enemies. Mm -hmm. So this is the gospel announcement. It's a royal announcement. And it's a royal battle announcement of victory, just like we saw in the First Testament with King David. Jesus is king. Jesus mm -hmm. has defeated the real enemies, not Rome that everybody was looking for or any other human ruler, but the power of death especially is emphasized as being defeated, and also the power of sin that goes alongside it. Now, okay, this is very important. Notice the takeaway from Peter's gospel speech. When the crowd hears all this, the text says they are, quote, cut to the heart. What should we do, they ask. Peter replies, repent, be baptized in the name of King Jesus, receive the forgiveness of your sins. In other speeches in Acts that will follow this, there's a whole series of, um, you could call them gospel presentations at the beginning yeah. of the book of Acts, and most of them by Peter, right? One by Philip. But Peter is the one who's doing the talking here, and he's telling the story of Jesus. And he'll mention the gifts that flow from his kingship, like new life, the regenerating power of the Holy Spirit, right? All this forgiveness of sins, things that we call the gospel typically. But this is how it actually works in the scriptures. The gospel message of the victory of King Jesus over sin and death is announced. And that's technically the gospel. Mm. The resurrection from the dead is proclaimed. His exaltation to a position of supreme authority at the right hand of God is presented. And then, as an outworking of this kingship, the good, life-restoring results are explained. Forgiveness, the gift of the Spirit, new life, all the things that they say result from this kingship of Jesus, the new king. Yeah, it's funny, Glenn, you use that phrase, gospel presentation, to talk about, uh, mm. you know, what Peter was doing in Acts. And it just kind of triggered this vision in my mind of 
modern quote unquote gospel presentations. <laughs> you know, I just imagine somebody on a street right. corner with a little half sheet of paper and handing out gospel tracts, gospel presentations. Yeah. And uh wow, how different those are than from what happens in Acts, you know? Yeah. Um just totally Ex- focused exactly, on different things. Right? We think of that as just a different thing, totally. Yep. Yep. So I think this is all just really interesting and really important for how we define the gospel and define kind of the crux of our faith. I feel like we we so often claim those outworkings you just mentioned, things like forgiveness, uh, the gift of the spirit, new life, those sorts of things mm. as the gospel. But according to the Bible, the good announcement is that uh, this news that Jesus is the Messiah, he's the king, he's the Lord. And the result of this the result of the work of this king is that there's all these new benefits that flow out to the people, what we call salvation, forgiveness, et cetera, et cetera. So just to confirm this again in the New Testament, we see these same ideas at work when Paul opens his letter to the Romans, where he says this, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. The gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the holy scriptures regarding his son, who as to his earthly life was a descendant of David, and who through the spirit of holiness was appointed the son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. See, there you go. And, you know, Paul is the one who will later go on at length about justification by faith. Right, mm-hmm. he's the one who gives us the inside story on the substitutionary atonement. But here at the beginning of that letter, when he uses the word gospel, that's not what he talks about. He talks right. about Jesus being descended from David, talks about him being Jesus Christ, that is Jesus the Messiah, our Lord. So he reverts to the same thing that we saw at the beginning of the book of Acts that Peter talked about as being the core meaning of the word gospel. And then we have this cool, I love this, this phrase that comes actually from 2 Timothy, and I don't think it's that well known, but yeah. it's a neat little shorthand summary of what they thought the gospel was. It goes like this, remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David, this is my gospel. Hmm. I'm like, wow, wow. that is Punchy. not what we typically <laughs> would say. Like, what is yeah. your gospel? Like we would say Jesus is the king, the Messiah, raised from the dead, descended from David. <laughs> like that's not what we think the yeah. gospel is, but that's no, what the usually, Bible says the gospel is. Yeah. It would usually start with me yeah. and my sinfulness, you know, and then yep. uh, and then get to Jesus after that. Yeah. So King yeah. Jesus has defeated death, right? He's the son of David, an heir to the throne of David. This is the gospel. Yep. Wow. Yep. All right, so we've done some diving into the text, both uh, both First Testament and New Testament, to try to redefine this word gospel or, or maybe cast it in a, a new light than, than maybe what some of our listeners are used to. But as always, I think it's important to talk about why this change and this shift is actually important for regular Christians. So what's the takeaway for us? Well, I think there's a couple, right? First of all, and you know, we could go on at length about this, but we'll try to keep it brief. Number one, I think we just have to make our gospel bigger. We have to follow the actual announcement of the gospel in the New Testament. It isn't enough to be what we could call a salvationist, 
New Testament scholar Scott McKnight says that what much of the church calls the gospel makes them more soterians than evangelists on the model of the scriptures. Well, well what's a soterian? Yeah. Well, soteria is the Greek word behind our word salvation. Euangelion is the Greek word that we translate as gospel. And that's where we get our words like evangelism or evangelical. Scott's point here is that we've reduced the gospel to a salvation announcement. You know, Jesus saves, as we see on the signs and the billboards, right, all over the country. Mm -hmm. And again, I mean, it's important to say it's not that salvation or justification are wrong, right? It's that they are not the complete picture. They don't communicate everything that the Bible means by the word gospel. So we've seemed to have lost this larger vision of Jesus as king, the one who brings a new kind of rule to the world, a kingdom based not on violence, but on self-sacrificing love and service to others. It's a totally different kind of kingship. The result of this shrinking of the word gospel is that discipleship is harder. Right? Think about Mm -hmm. it. If the gospel is all about a ticket out of hell— a one-time decision to accept Christ as Savior, then the call to follow Jesus, that is, to obey him, to live according to his new kingdom, this radical love that he was all about and, and exemplified in his complete ministry and his death on the cross, all of this is kind of pulled out from under our feet. The call to follow Jesus and be serious about discipleship is harder if you think the gospel is merely about Jesus saving you versus Jesus being your king. Mm-hmm. So with the Soterian gospel, it's much easier to just keep Jesus as savior, but then still give our hearts to the other gospels that the world has on offer. Our politics or nationalism, consumerism, all the other competing gospels out there. But yeah. with the King Jesus gospel, We have a much clearer call to give our highest loyalty exclusively to the risen and ascended Lord of the world. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. So that's the first big takeaway, I think. And I think the second one is that the gospel of King Jesus really gives us a more profound vision of the work of Christ. Like if if Jesus really is Israel's true king and the world's true Lord, then we can make better sense of that hymn at the opening of of Ephesians, which says he'll bring unity Mm. to all things in heaven and on earth. And then there's also that hymn at the opening of Colossians that says he holds all created things together and reconciles to himself all things on earth and in heaven. So like this is, this Mm -hmm. is a big gospel. This is a cosmic public kind of world transforming gospel. And I think uh, it's a much bigger version than kind of the only Soterian implications version of the gospel, which is small, kind of private, individualistic, rescue-centered, that sort of thing. And again, Mm. for probably the fifth time, (laughs) the Soterian gospel doesn't get canceled Mm. out by this. It just gets absorbed kind of within the bigger picture of this bigger gospel. So in this world of competitive gospels, I think only this King Jesus gospel is up to the task of overcoming all of the competitive alternative gospels that are vying for our affection and our allegiance and our attention. 
Yeah. It's the only one yeah. that can kind of encapsulate everything that the story of Jesus is meant to show us. Yeah. One of the things you just said, Alex, just prompted me to think about something. And I think it's it's what happens so often when we test our traditions against the scriptures. Right. Yeah. And and like we said at the beginning, that can be a little scary to do because we're comfortable with our traditions so often. But what almost always happens, I see, and it happens in this case with the King Jesus gospel, is you don't lose what you had, right? You don't yeah. lose the substitutionary atonement. Jesus did die for our sins. You mm-hmm. don't lose justification by faith. You get those back, but you get them back in a better way as part of yeah. a bigger, more comprehensive, and and kind of richer um, set of ideas. And that's what I think the Bible does when we're willing to continually make it the test of our story of Jesus. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't know, there, there isn't anywhere else to turn for the story of Jesus, right? What are, are we just going to make it up or, or go somewhere else? <laughs> the Bible right. is where this story comes from, right? I mm-hmm. mean, that's where we have to test things. And we have to be honest and say, look, our traditions, like anybody other's traditions, the Jewish traditions in the First Testament, you know, that came to Jesus in the first century, right? He was testing them against something, um, God's true story. And then in church history, traditions can get off track sometimes. And there's these reformation or renewal movements. And we have to say, you know what, that could happen with my tradition too. And so Mm -hmm. the scriptures are the test for what the true story of God is. And, And I think if you were really open to that, like you don't lose things, you get them back in a bigger and better and richer way as part of a bigger story. And that's what the Bible almost always does for us. Yep. Yeah, no, that's a good word. And um, just one kind of final illustration that came up as we were working on putting this episode together, it reminded me a little bit, not super familiar with the Robin Hood story, but as I understand it, uh, the basics Uh are, you know, (laughs) the, the people, the peasants, living under this kind of oppressive regime of uh, Prince John and the Sheriff of Nottingham, where they're just being exploited and taken advantage of. Um, and, and so when King Richard comes back, everybody celebrates because he's a good king, he's a good ruler, and um, mm. it has actual implications for their life. They celebrate the implications of his reign, which are justice restored, peace restored, you know, flourishing in the countryside, right. that sort of thing. But they're celebrating because there's a new king on the throne. And there's somebody that's come back to to take their rightful place. And I feel like that's a little bit what we're trying to do here with, with this King Jesus gospel idea is to to put the implications in their proper place alongside the core of the gospel, which is Jesus on the throne. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. And right. And I mean, the Robin Hood story, King Richard, but also it's like a common theme in our literature, right? There are lots of return of the good King stories. And why is that? Because I think it reflects the fact that we have this sense that when the right ruler comes, right, there's this restoration and flourishing that results, um, you know, as you were talking about Robin Hood, I thought that's also the Lord of the Rings story, right? The right. last book in the trilogy is called The Return of the King. Mm-hmm. So here you have Aragorn. He's been, you know, kind of slinking around as somebody who watches what goes on as Strider, but he's yeah. actually the rightful bloodline King of Gondor. And at the end, he's revealed as the rightful king and he he gets the kingdom from the stewards who were not really the kings anyway. 
and who mm-hmm. weren't doing a great job. And there's this story of there's someone who is supposed to be the ruler here, the, the person in charge, the authority. And in Israel's story, it's Yahweh first, but then Yahweh adopts human kings as his sons. That's why mm. Psalms, you know, calls the human kings, even in Israel's history, were referred to as the son of God because he adopted them as rulers over his people in his land. And mm. so it's kind of strange, isn't it, that we've turned the story of the Bible, which is the story of the return of the good king, we yeah. ended up making the gospel about a smaller thing, mm. right? When it's it's a yep. return of the king story, and and we end up making it like kind of like if Strider had gone into Gondor and just, you know, snuck a few people out of Gondor and tried to bring them to a totally different place, <laughs> rather than returning as king of his rightful right. realm, right, and putting things in order. Um, mm-hmm. But that's kind of what we did with the Bible story when we shrunk the gospel. So yeah. I think this is a really important corrective, that we we need to start talking about the King Jesus gospel, not just the salvation gospel. And as usual, we didn't just kind of come up with this out of thin air. It was the result <laughs> of, uh, you know, scholarly works and, and some uh, and some real scholars who have done the, the deep dive on this uh-huh. stuff. So uh, if you're looking exactly. to explore this topic more in depth, we definitely recommend two great books. The first, of course, is Scott McKnight's The King Jesus Gospel. And then the second is N.T. Wright's How God Became King. So I'll toss some uh, some links to those in the show notes if you want to check out more about this topic. As always, the Bible Reset podcast is brought to you by Changemakers, our community of donors who give monthly gifts of any amount to help us create resources that change the way people read the Bible. If you appreciate this podcast and you'd like to support our work, you can learn more at instituteforbiblereading.org slash changemakers. That's going to do it for this episode. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you on the next one.